it is a privilege to be on this call today, and I'm grateful to each and every one who is on the call. You are in for a very special treat. I have the privilege to uh, interview today and have a conversation with one of my heroes, uh, Reverend John Grant from Madison, Wisconsin. Brother Grant um, served for many, many years. Brother Grant, how many years as district superintendent? Uh, 17 years. 17 years as our district superintendent. Um, He is the senior pastor of uh, Calvary Gospel Church in Madison, and a tremendous church, one of the most revival-minded churches that I have ever had the privilege to preach at or to to just be a part of in any given uh, circumstance. Uh, I do recall on many occasions having the privilege to preach there. The altars are packed with people uh, wanting to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and they just have a very refined process to pray people through the Holy Ghost. Uh, many people baptize in Jesus' name week after week. Brother Grant has um, the gift of wisdom, and he is known across our fellowship as one of our premier teachers, and I have uh, the highest regard for him, and I'm very grateful for him taking the time to be with us. Thank you, Brother Grant, for being on the call today. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Brother Soto. Today we're going to be talking about adversity and leadership. And uh, I will tell you straight up, uh, guys, you're going to want to hang on because a little bit later in the call, I am going to step away um, from this line of thinking to ask a few questions to Brother Grant. I don't know when I'll be able to have him on the call again, and I wanted to just take as many opportunities as I could to give some commentary on revival and also Um, his perspective on teaching and preaching. But we're going to begin our conversation today uh, talking about adversity. And, Brother Grant, from uh, my perspective, uh, you are a success story. You've you've planted churches. Uh, You pastor a church that has a membership that has surpassed over 2,000. You have a large staff. You've served decades as a district superintendent. You're one of the premier teachers and uh, teaching camp meetings, conferences across our fellowship, and yet few people would suspect that you have endured as many hardships as you've endured, and you have uh, navigated through tremendous adversity. And I've noticed that there's this common thread that you find among truly great men of God, and that common thread is great adversity. Brother Grant, what is the connection between greatness and adversity well brother Soto that's that's a pretty difficult thing to define uh, I, I personally think that uh, once you have goals that you set and you set those goals high that uh, the devil will come after you um, since uh, 1995 uh, I've had tremendous uh, health problems. I had t- two knee surgeries. I had cancer in my ear and had to have my ear canal uh, reconstructed. I had colon cancer in 1997, had 54 inches of my colon removed. I took chemo for a year. I had a heart attack in 1999. And I think you're going to make mention of this uh, a little bit later on, but my son... Steve tragically died. Uh, then I had a, a health problem, a, a chronic uh, arthritic, arthritic problem with my ankle. I was fit with a, a gauntlet brace, which I'm supposed to be wearing today. Then I had uh, prostate cancer in 2012. Uh, also, I became diabetic. <laughs> And so, you know, I've had my share of problems, but since Y2K, that's the turn of the century, uh, we've had almost 3,500 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Now, this year to date, we're getting close to 200. Uh, Just this past weekend, we had a a big camp, uh, not camp, but a, a, a park service, and we had nine people filled with the Holy Ghost in the park service. We brought them back to the church. Uh, four of them were baptized in Jesus' name. 
So that is so tremendous. Right now, uh, we're having uh, on Sunday. We have Sunday morning Sunday school. Of course, uh, we have an adult uh, worship service. Sunday afternoon, a bilingual service, and Sunday night we have two services running at the same time. On Tuesday night, we have two services going. One off campus, one here at the church. Wednesday night, we have two services going. So we have a total of eight services plus extension services. Now, the the thing that I have found in all of this is that, you know, when when trials come your way, and they will come to every man, uh, that that you don't waste your trials, but that you grow during this time. Now, whether you have church growth or not, uh, you're, you're still going to go through uh, adversity. But I have felt that because I set some very lofty goals, uh, I I really believe before my passing or handing the baton off to someone else here at Calvary Gospel Church that we're going to see uh, Dane County evangelized with thousands of people coming to God. So I determined when my when when I first had some health problems and and probably some of the health problems were due to just my not taking care of myself, which I, I believe that. But the devil does come in at that time. But this is a time in which you know if you have downtime, in which you cannot. Uh, uh, perform uh, and, and carry on your regular activities. Don't waste that time. I made up my mind that if the devil's after me, well, then then I'm going to turn the tables on him because I'm going to grow. I developed a, a, a much closer relationship with God than I ever had before. Uh, so I, I just decided I'd just switch the tables on him. You know, God allows you to go through trials. But the important thing is that you just you, you keep a good attitude, that you keep on walking. Uh, you know, if a storm comes and you just sit in one place and there's a low-pressure system and, and the, the clouds are spinning counterclockwise and sometimes they're sitting in areas for a long time. But if you keep on walking, you'll walk out of the storm. You definitely will walk out of the storm. And wow. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful for what God has done. I look back at this, and the truth of the matter is, uh, I have to glory. I have to thank God for this time of trial. Uh, yes, Brother Grant, that statement, "Don't waste your trials," is going to stay with me for the rest of my life. And I know that our listeners today, um, just hearing just a, a synopsis of some of the things that you have been through um, in relatively recent history and to have that kind of an attitude, that is a wonderful uh, thing to just put into our spirit and uh, not wasting our trials. That's beautiful. So when you go through trials, Brother Grant, um, obviously you've been touched physically on many occasions. Do you sense um, in different trials that there are different uh, sources um, is it the adver- is the adversity coming from the enemy? Is it coming from God? Do you have a sense of where the adversity is coming from when you have go through trials? Well, not all the time. Sometimes you know you, you just have all these question marks. You you really don't know. Uh, you know when Job went through his trials. Well, I, let me refer to what Paul said in Romans twelve. He said, "God will show mercy to whom He will show mercy." He said, does the clay have the power to speak to the potter and say, why did you make me like this? Why did you make me like this? See, God has a purpose for every man. He has a different role for every man. So I believe that the script for my life was written a long time before I was born. Just like Jeremiah, uh, God says, I saw you before you were conceived. So Jesus Christ was actually in the plan of God, in the Logos, before he became man. Uh, John the Baptist was in the Logos before he became man, and I believe that all of us are. So God has a different uh, script for every man's life. So I think that, you know, I've accepted the the role that uh, I am to, to walk in, 
uh, I think my attitude has been right because I understand what's happening. Job was so confused at one time, and God came and said, I want you to stand up, Job. So Job stood up. And the Lord said, now, where were you when I uh, hung the stars, the sun and the moon? And said, can you answer me, Job? Job says, I don't know. I, I just don't have the answer. Where were you whenever I scooped uh, the soil out and made the oceans? He says, well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer to that. So what God told Job, and I'm putting this in my own uh, terminology, God says, well, just shut up and sit down, Job, because I've got everything in my hand, that I'm yeah. in control of all this. So I, I would say that just as the devil visited God and uh, made accusation against Job that, that, that that's possible for this to happen today. But we also have to remember, we do live in a cursed world. Since the days of Adam and Eve, the world is cursed. And, and all of us will eventually go back to the earth. Uh, we're going to die, because statistics prove that one out of one dies. And, and you know, I, when, when, when I had colon cancer, and I tried my best to preach, and I got a staph infection. I'd, I'd go home, and my socks would be full of blood and water. And I said, I wonder if I'll ever be normal again. But this is I, this I determined. I've been teaching these people. Of course, I, we just celebrated our 40th pastoral anniversary here at Calvary Gospel Church. I've been teaching these people all these years how to live. Maybe it's time for me to teach them how to die. I didn't know. Wow. But I just put everything into the hands of God, and I feel that that God, when, the devil can't do anything to me except lie to me unless God gives him permission. If God grants him permission, he can do whatever God allows him to do, but no more than the limitations that are set on him. Now, I must trust God, and I must believe God. And if, if, if I accept reality, then when adversity passes on in time, I will be able to look at this adverse situation or any crisis and have thoughts of it. When I look back at my ministry, I don't remember all the, uh, the picnics we had in the park. I don't remember all the vacations. I remember some of but I do remember the trials, and and I remember them with, with much fondness. So, uh, you know, I, I just feel that, that uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying my best to fulfill uh, the role that God has made for me and walk in the script that he's written for me. But see, he's given me a choice. I can take the pen out of the hand of God and rub through, scratch out, or erase what he's written for me and rewrite my own script. But I understand that all of God's scripts have a happy ending. Yes. And, and, and I want to make sure that I continue to walk that way. Now, uh, Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be shall be revealed by fire. Now he says, we all build upon a foundation, that's Jesus Christ. We build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. Now when the fire comes, it's gonna it, it's gonna reveal what what the what the man's work is all about. Now if if he builds with wood, hay, and stubble, his work's going to be burned. However, he will be saved. Uh, in other words, he's been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, but for some reason he didn't build with uh, the precious stones, gold, or silver. And I've seen this happen to many pastors when adversity came, that you know the church was split and divided and and 
became uh, nothing. And so when the pastor passed away, you know, he, he left nothing for anyone else to continue to build on. Well, I'm just hoping that, that I'm building with silver or gold or precious stones, that, that, that the fire that, that comes will not destroy it. That is, uh, that's powerful. Brother Grant, um, your perspective towards trials is, uh, it, it's life-changing just as we're hearing you. Did, have, have you always had this perception about trials, or did you grow into this perception? Well, uh, you know, all of life is a growing process. You know, that is if you want it to be. Uh, I, I think that I'm growing spiritually as much now as I ever have. Uh, my son Roy is on our pastoral staff, and he, he's he's a great preacher. He's a great organizer. Much of our growth, you know, I I have to point my finger toward Roy and say he's responsible for it. But he came in and he said, "Dad, I I don't know." He said, "You think I'll ever be as good a preacher teacher as you?" I don't consider myself to be a premier preacher teacher like you had you had stated. But but this I told him, I said, no, Roy, you'll never become as good a preacher or teacher as me as long as I'm alive. Now, you'll blow right past me once I'm gone. But the reason why is because I'm trying as hard to be a better preacher and a better teacher and a better Christian than I ever have had, than I ever have. So you're trying as hard as you can. I'm trying as hard as I, I can. And I'm going to stay ahead of you as long as I'm alive. But <laughs> but hopefully when I pass on and you continue, that, that you're just going to grow and grow and grow and keep on growing and become a much better preacher and teacher than I ever was. But I'm not a has-been yet. <laughs> so right. I, 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 I try every time I get behind the pulpit to preach my best message. I try every time we have an altar call to have the best altar call we've ever had. I try every time I go to the Lord in prayer to have the best prayer meeting I've ever had. And and, and I consider um, my personal growth uh, as a result of the close relationship that I have with the Lord. See, I feel that a lot of problems have been minimized in our church because and nobody can pull rank on me spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I really feel, now I'm talking to you and I'm talking to young ministers, I feel that I walk in the favor of God. And I say that humbly. Yes. So as a result, uh, not many people try to pull rank on me. Because, you see, if you don't get prayer right, you won't get anything else right. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. So I have this covenant with God that I spend the first hour every morning after I have after I've prayed and cleansed my heart and sought his face, I spend the first hour in what I call vision praying. See, churches don't necessarily grow because of ministry. They grow because of vision. Yes. So I put this little formula together, and it goes like this. My vision plus my faith plus my commitment equals my appraisal of God. Now, it does not equal how big God is because I can't comprehend that. But my vision plus my faith plus my commitment equals how big I think God is. If my vision is greater, my appraisal of God is greater. If my vision is bigger, if, if, if I change all the digits on the right-hand side of the equal sign or the left-hand side, then the right-hand side has to change. It's, you know, it's just like a mathematical equation. So yes. if I can sit, so I can't see life from God's point of view until I sit where God sits. Paul talks about us sitting in heavenly places. And if every day I can start out by sitting in heavenly places to see life from God's point of view, then my appraisal of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I spent probably five or six years here in Madison 
maybe many of you don't know this, but Madison is a very liberal place. The Freedom from Religion Foundation is here. Our U.S. Congresswoman is a lesbian. They pride themselves in being in diversity, but in being open to alternative lifestyles and such. But I found this out, that you can't have revival fighting devils. You've got to have revival walking in the favor of God. Yes. So we try to do this in all of our services, too. The main focus of a prayer meeting should not be prayer. It should be Jesus. The main focus of a worship service should not be worship. It should be Jesus. The main focus of preaching should not be preaching, but it should be Jesus. If you lift him up, trust me, people will come. Wow. And Brother Grant, um, just hearing this, I know that a lot of our guys are have straightened up and, and, and they have already written or put several things down on their laptop that they're never going to forget. And yet you've been through so many things, even to this day, you're still touched with, um, you know, physical problems and, and one after another. Do you ever get exasperated and, and wonder at the providence of God? Um, and how do you keep your spirit right um, when you're doing your best, as you stated, and giving um, this time to God? And there, obviously you, you could do so much for the Lord with, that, with a healthy body. How do you keep a good spirit when well, you constantly have another diagnosis or prognosis that is, is bad news? Well, you know, all of this year I've had a chronic back problem. I'm not able to go to general conference this year because I just can't ride that distance, can't fly that distance, can't sit in the board meetings. You know, I'm an honorary member of the general board. So I determined a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't go, so I canceled my room. I have had uh, chronic back problems and a sciatica situation. Uh, but, but you know, I guess the way I look at it, you know, if I had a real healthy body, if I was strong like I was when I was 30 and 40, what would be, where would I be uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? I don't know. That's a good question. So maybe you're suggesting so, that. Your your trials have have brought you closer to God, and maybe have exactly. And I, I know that they have, and it goes back to this: what I said, don't waste your trials. That I, I've just determined that hey, the one thing the devil can't stop me from doing, he can't stop me from having a vision, he can't stop me from praying, he can't he he can't stop me. And I determined that I will never allow my memories to be greater than my dreams. It, it just, I, I just got to keep on pushing, keep on believing, and keep on hoping. And I've got a tremendous staff, and there have been times when I have to, uh, when I, even now I have to operate from my home or come to my office and sit here all day and just talk to leaders about what to do. But uh, that, that's just part of life, and I just accept what's happened to me and, but, but you know, I, I really believe that, you know, I'm going to be better tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be preaching. I have been preaching some. I thank the Lord for that. But your wow. acceptance of reality is so, so important. This this obviously is a role that I didn't choose for myself. Uh, it was chosen for me, and I want to make sure that I, that I pass the test. Do you think that sometimes uh, pastors and ministers... Uh, struggle with their attitude because they have unrealistic expectations. They're surprised every time there's a hardship or a trial or a people problem. Maybe we should stop being surprised that there's adversity involved in life. Well, uh, you know, naturally you and I have seen this happen to some ministers, and that's very unfortunate. I've talked with ministers that became embittered. Uh, knowing this, you know, it served as a good sound warning to me. Don't let this happen to you, John. You can't. You, you, you've got to be strong. You've got to 
God sent me here to reach this community. God sent me here to evangelize Madison. And I cannot afford uh, to allow some trial uh, to come and, and, and when the testing time comes for me to fail the test. I cannot afford that. So I'm going to keep my attitude right toward God. Uh, if, I, if I cannot do what I feel that I want to do, uh, God's given me good help. I'll get somebody else to do it for me. Hmm. I recall um, hearing your story in your earlier years of ministry, um, how your family went through some great financial hardship. How did you deal with, I guess the financial pressure is kind of the worst kind of pressure, it seems, one of the worst, I should say. How, do you, how did you deal with financial leanness in your early years? Well, first let me say, it doesn't take a lot to make Sister Grant happy. <laughs> you know, if she has to buy clothes from Goodwill or or Savers or someplace like that, you know, she, she never complains about it. And we were out of Texas Bible College. We went to East Texas, to Cushing, Texas. We started a church there. Um, she came from a pretty poor family and her mother was sick a lot so she had to work hard uh, she had five, uh, six siblings they had seven children so she did a lot of washing and, and ironing of clothes and cooking the meals and, and, and such and I came from a farm background where I worked hard and we knew how to we, we knew how to make it on very little so when we started out, there was no Christmas for Christ uh, program. Uh, I, de I determined that I would spend the first 10 years of my life establishing churches. I was strong. I was healthy. I knew how to do a good number of things. I uh, knew how to build homes. Uh, so I started uh, building homes. Uh, I did work in an engineering department uh, at R.G. Letourneau. Incorporation there in Longview, Texas. Uh, but because it didn't take a lot to, to make my wife happy and and me either, that we we never really looked at it as if you know we in other words we never got down on our luck so to speak because you know you look around you see a lot of homeless people and a lot of people that are suffering and I was just glad that hey we may be suffering a little bit but but we know Jesus Christ. And God's not going to let us down. We got the church going in, in, in Cushion. It became full-time. I resigned it. We moved to Wisconsin to uh, to Shano. No Christmas for Christ. We sold a new house that we were building. Never moved into it. Took all the proceeds. Financed our way to Shano. Got there, and I couldn't find a job. We used the money that we had left over to purchase a, an older building, which we can meet in. But but God always provided, and we, you know, I finally got a job. Moved from there to Lacrosse, uh, Christmas for Christ uh, missionary, the first Christmas for Christ missionary in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, when I left Shawna, it was full time. When I left uh, Lacrosse to come here to Madison, uh, we were running more in attendance in Lacrosse than we were running here in Madison. But I felt this was the will of God. So this is the first church that I pastored that I had not started. But I, I think that you know I, I've been teaching this for years. Uh, I'm in the process of putting together a book entitled "Breaking All Ties," and it deals with what happens when you become a steward. When you become a steward, you actually give up everything that you have. Yes. And you give it to God. Now, you can become a prodigal anytime you want to by going back and say, give me the goods that rightly belongs to me. I worked hard. Oh, wow. Let me have it back. But Jesus said, no man, no man can be my disciple unless he forsakes houses and lands. And he goes down the line. 
So I think sometimes we think that the preaching of the cross is designed to make us wealthy. Christianity is not a matter of how much you can get, but how much you can give. Truth. But because I am a steward, and nothing I have belongs to me, then the responsibility is placed on the squarely on the shoulders of God. But if stewardship is practiced properly, you will never have a need, and your church will never have a need that God cannot and will not meet. And you found that to be true. Oh yes. Uh, over and over again. I remember you telling a story about your family essentially uh, having peanut butter sandwiches for a while. Yeah. When we got to Lacrosse, uh, and we, we, we arrived the third week of January. What a surprise. It was the evening uh, The evening we arrived is 27 below zero, actual temperature. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I thought cold weather was going to be great, you know. <laughs> Well, listen, it's not so great. <laughs> we couldn't find a, the job, and we spent the money that we had uh, minus the money that we paid down on the building. But we had some folks in the church that got commodity food, and they brought it over, and we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And, you know, but we, we always just sat down and ate it and just had a, a banquet with it, you know. And, and thank the Lord for what we had. Yes. And God, God provided, and guess what? I'm still alive. <laughs> yes. Now, um, one of the difficult, most difficult areas in, in leadership to deal with is uh, when you're attacked, um, attacked by a member of, of, a ch- of the church, somebody you served faithfully, um, and, of course, we're not new pioneers blazing a brand-new trail because we're experiencing this, but it's very difficult. And then sometimes there are challenges with fellow pastors and ministers. How have you dealt with um, the interpersonal challenges that come with ministry, whether it be from a member or a fellow minister? Well, I would like to say that I've been very fortunate never to have had a church split uh, I've been very fortunate to, I've had very few people just walk away and say, you know, this is not for me. I want to go to another UPC church. Uh, I have always tried, you know, I teach Christian ethics and I teach ministerial ethics. And the scripture that I start with is Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, you know, he says, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. Do you even so to them? So if you treat everybody the way you'd like to be treated, even, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and that do spiteful things to you. That you may prove that you are the, the children of your father so conclusive evidence that you're God's child is is not altogether just speaking in tongues, but it's acting like God acts. So how does God treat people that curse him? Mm. He treats them with love, sometimes with respect. See, and I, I'm a believer that that most people struggle with trying to treat their brothers, well, let me rephrase it. Most people cannot treat their brothers and sisters with the same attitude and love that God expects us to treat our enemies with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I have people against me, I do my best. I do my dead-level best. One, I'm not going to pick on them with my preaching. I'm going to be positive from behind the pulpit because I have a lot more people to to feed than, than a few disgruntled people. I'm going to go and make sure that I'm standing in a place where they shake my hand. When they shake my hand, I'm going to be just as normal as I possibly can and tell them how good it is to see them and... 
you know, I've seen a lot of people come around because, you know, God would destroy Israel, but he remembered that they were but flesh. And there has to be this godly element in a pastor that he also remembers that they're but flesh. But he must not forget that he's flesh because, you know, sometimes the problem uh, is ours. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes so it is. And, and we just have to understand that, hey, we expect people to forgive us. we got to forgive other people. Unfortunately, right. though, some people just walk away because they just want to go some other place. But, you know, if you – I talk about pulling rank on people spiritually. I pull rank on people with the Scripture. Give them a lot of scripture. Be positive, though. Yes. When you're dealing with people in your congregation that has stepped out of line, don't be addressing that problem all the time. Feed the people that are there that are wanting to be fed. Hmm. Feed them and feed them well. And don't let people get under your skin. <laughs> uh, I know that I've failed in this area many times, but... I, I try. I try to <laughs> to be fair and honest and to love everybody. Yes. Brother Grant, um, when uh, you deal with people who are having problems, sometimes you run into folks who um, they have a tendency to be counselor dependent. They want to, to, to meet with you over and over again. Um, and it sort of feels like you, you always feel like you're not quite doing enough for these individuals. You're pastoring a very large congregation. How do you deal with people who have that tendency to be counselor-dependent and demand more time than you can really give them and be a good steward? Well, years ago in my ministry, uh, I allowed high-maintenance people to take too much of my time. And I really prayed about this. I thought, now, look, you know, to... to to solve some problem for people, it's like trying to unscramble an egg. You, know, you just can't do it. And, and you know, you, you can't be the judge over everything. So I developed, I developed a, a plan for counseling. Now, this is not this, this works in every area, whether whether it's marriage counseling, whether it's a health problem, whether it's uh, a problem that you're having with a neighbor or a brother in the church, whether you're having problems. Uh, finding a job, it always works. So I call this the Bible, the manual for life. You know, Jesus defeated Satan with three scriptures. Now, if Jesus can do this, if he can overcome with three scriptures, what can we do with 66 books of scripture? Yes. So the first thing that I do when people come in uh, you know, let, let's say that you have a lady that's committed adultery, okay? She wants to make a confession. She comes in. Naturally, I have my wife uh, in the office with me when that happens. Mm -hmm. But the way I do this, I don't become a judge of her. See, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you know how to use the Bible. So the first thing I ask people to do, commit this problem to the Lord. Commit it to the Lord. The second thing is that you speak, you seek spiritual help. That's why you're here in my office right now. You don't know where to start, so I'm going to help you with this. The third thing is you make a scriptural study relative to your problem. So let's say if it was a, a moral issue, I never ask you any details. I don't care to know. But I want you to make a scriptural study. And then the next thing you do after making that, you come in and you give me the Bible study that you have made. At the same time, then, I help you to determine what scriptures you need to memorize. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hmm. Then the fifth thing that I do, I tell them, I want you to put these in practice. So when temptation comes, the next time, let's say the man calls you, wants a date for the weekend, wants, to go, wants you to go away to a motel again, what do you do? 
You take the scriptures that you memorize, and while he's talking to you, you quote those scriptures. And you'll find that it's hard to say yes to him when you're quoting scripture. Hmm. Now, because they come and give me the Bible study, you know, I put I put the problem squarely on their back. If they won't do their homework, I'm not going to talk to them. When they come in and say, I haven't had time to study, I haven't had time to search the scriptures, I say, well, do you think you can do this by this time next week? Oh, maybe. I said, well, look, when you get them, you give me a call. And I dismiss them. Uh-huh. So, it, you see, that takes stress off of me, too, because I'm not trying to judge their matter. Right. You don't know the marriages, Aaron, that I think that I've saved by going the Bible route. Yes. And not dealing. I may have the husband in in anger management studies. I may have the wife in... <laughs> obedient to, <laughs> to husband studies you know, you know it's it just it's two different things and and you know i i have a, a set of rules especially if it, it deals with the marriage counseling uh, one is if you come in for marriage counseling you must promise that you will not intentionally provoke your spouse the second thing that if you are provoked either intentionally or unintentionally you, you won't strike back hmm and the third thing is that you won't discuss this with anyone but me. Well, one couple came in. They said, we know what you're doing, Brother Grant, because if we just follow the guidelines, we don't fight. <laughs> you know? right? You hear people all the time say, we're tired of fighting. Well, you know what my advice is? Then shut up. <laughs> just don't fight anymore. Very simple. Very simple. It is. But, but uh, you know, you may feel that I've oversimplified, uh, but, you, you know, here's the thing that you have to understand, that all I can do as a pastor, I can't make choices for them. I can't make decisions for them. All I can do as a pastor is give them enough information for them to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. But the decision is theirs. Yes, I remember you made that statement, and that has hung with me uh, my entire ministry. And uh, it's it's almost as if, Brother Grant, there's a shift where uh, people used to uh, really dig into the Word when they had problems and challenges. And in our in our uh, you know pop psychology culture, they almost turn to the preacher to do the study and give me the refined answers, and they never go through the process of discovery and prayer. And I really don't believe that your your plan is over oversimplification, dealing with people. It's it's turning them and redirecting them to their Savior. We're not the Savior. Pastors are not the Savior. approach, you know. That's very good. There you know, I've, had more... people, I've had a couple go of ahead. Well, what if things get out of hand in the house? I said, what do you mean? I mean, get violent. I said, well, then call the police. Mm-hmm. They said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious because I'm not coming over there when when you're threatening each other and throwing dishes at each other. Just call the police. <laughs> Usually they, they don't get that bottle thing anymore. <laughs> I said, no, that I'm not going to come to the rescue. Right. Man, that's good. There's a lot of conversation today, uh, more it seems than I remember, about burnout pastors and burnout, and I could be wrong about this. Uh, you know, maybe you've heard about this for the last, you know, 40 years, but um, it just seems like I hear more and more about it. Um, do you believe this is an issue we're dealing with? Uh, do you feel that it's it's something that seems to be more uh, prominent, or is it just uh, as it has always been, and, and how do we protect ourselves from it? Well, yeah, I, I do think it's a big issue. But here's the thing. If you look in the Bible, you're hard-pressed to find enough information to give a good Bible study on it. Now, what I have found, and this really has worked for me, uh, that most burnout is not really 
burnout is it's just choke out. <laughs> you uh-huh. know what what Jesus said. You know that the the vines grew up and choked out the plants. And he said the vines are the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. So what we have, especially once you experience some success as a pastor, uh, you know, your people, your people would make you wealthy if you allowed them to. And of course, that's not my aim in life. I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not interested in becoming a rich man. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, I want to, I want to see the church grow. I'd rather put on another pastor than me have more than what I need. Right. Now, the cares of this life are the things that you should care for, but you care too much. Mm-hmm. So after a while, all you're doing is that you're just minding earthly things, as Paul talked about to the uh, Church of Philippi, when 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 he said you become an enemy to the cross when you mind earthly things, and we're you you, you too much stress because you got too much stuff. And you're taking care of too many things. Now, this this is what I found that uh, when Paul talks to, to the Corinthian church, Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, when he talks about repentance, this is what he said. He said, "For godly sorrow worketh repentance, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death." Now he goes on to say, for behold this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourself. Now we usually stop there and we think that's all there is to repentance. Repentance is what? Asking God to forgive us of sin. It's the clearing of ourselves. It's a cleansing of ourselves. So we are very careful and 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 we're also quite thrilled that that God has forgiven us. But John the Baptist says, bring forth meat, fruit under, uh, fruit under repentance. In other words, if you want me to baptize you under repentance, I want to see the fruit of repentance. I think 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, Paul is talking about the fruit of repentance. Now notice what he says after the carefulness and after the clearing. He says, what indignation Indignation is righteous anger. He says, yea, what fear. And then you notice how he's turning this from the things that you the things that you discard, the things that you put off. He turns this to what you take on when you repent. He said, Yea, what vehement desire. Now, you have seen this, Brother Soto, and I've seen it. If you have a person that comes to the altar and they don't receive the Holy Ghost within a month or two, you have problems getting them back down to the altar. They may be dressing holy, they may be paying their tithes, they never miss a service, but they're not disturbed. See, Jesus said, He that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness shall be filled. Brother Alan Oggs wrote the, a very great book, you got to have the want to. But the big problem is how do you get to want to? Right. Now you have a man that walks into your assembly. He's never heard he's never heard you preach, never been in Pentecostal service, but God gets a hold of his heart. He comes sliding into the altar like a man sliding into second base. And, and you know what happens? He's filled with the Holy Ghost in a matter of minutes because he's hungry. And I think the real problem with a lot of us when it comes to burnout is that we have forgotten the importance of repentance. We clear ourselves and we're very careful, but do you pray to the point that you take on a vehement desire? Do you pray to the point that your zeal comes back? So someone comes into me, let's say a Sunday school superintendent or a Sunday school teacher or whatever, and says, I'm just burned out. You know what I happen to do? I said, I want you to take a couple of weeks off from teaching, and I want you to thoroughly go through the act of repenting. 
I want you to renew yourself. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now I know you get physically tired, but the Bible says that the spirit of a man will sustain him even in his infirmity. Hmm. So the way I deal with this and the way I tell people to deal with it, you need to know how to get out of that rut. And the way you get out of that rut is by knowing how to repent. Yes. Because, you know, the people of other denominations, they may not have the Holy Ghost, but they know how to repent. And they have a lot more zeal sometimes than Holy Ghost people who have the power to do it, but they don't have the desire to do it. Hmm. Now, like I say, I probably oversimplify things, but... <laughs> I think that's revelation. You know, that really, is, that what, is revelation. you tell the church at Ephesus? He said, you've lost your first love or your first desire. He said, repent. If you don't repent, he said, I'll remove your candlestick. But this rut that you're in, this burnout condition, is going to cost you your soul. My, my. Were there seasons in your life, Brother Grant, where you overcommitted, overextended yourself to the point that was unhealthy? And what was it that brought you back into a place of of having balance? I know there's no such thing as perfect balance, but um, what did you do if if you had those seasons? Well, you know, you you look in the side mirror of your car, especially on the right-hand side of your car, and usually there's a little statement down there that said, Objects in the mirror are closer than what they appear. And a little advice for pastors is this, that when you're making appointments and you're setting dates, especially to preach out, remember that those days on the calendar are closer than what they appear. <laughs> and, and Because it's going to come around. And after a while, you're overcommitted. Yes. So it's just a common sense of approach that, that you... you if you want to be as successful as a pastor, you've got to learn how to say no. Yes. With the church our size, we don't go to all the, my wife doesn't go to all the baby showers, all of the bridal showers. Uh, we don't attend all the birthday parties. We don't attend all the graduations. We don't attend all the graduation parties. Um, we, we just can't. There's just no, no way we can't. So we have to say no, but you've got to say no in a way in which you let the people know that you really care. Right. And even when I refer people to other pastors, you know, I let them know that. And, and some people some people come and try to condemn you. Well, you're too busy to see me. I told people, please don't try to make me feel guilty about being too busy for Jesus. I said, it just doesn't work. I want I want to get you in, but I can't. And this is the reason why we have several pastors on staff. Right. Um, boy, there, there's so many different directions we could go, Brother Grant, and we've had I've absolutely appreciated everything that you said today, and I'm very hopeful that we can have you back on the call in the future because there are more questions that I would like to, um, to ask you uh, regarding... Um, adversity and also uh, some other areas and subjects but um i wanted to, i wanted to make sure that i asked this question to you ministers have many concerns we have many concerns people uh, finance, church finances there's marriage crisis in the congregation people who've been diagnosed with a, a, a terminal illness and um there is no question that we deal with pressure pressure do you make a distinction between pressure and stress? Because uh, uh, is, how does that work? Well, they're so closely related. So closely related. Uh, and I know we don't have much time, and i probably talk too long on some of these subjects, Aaron. But, you know, the, the thing about it is, you know, I'm not an alarmist. I never have been. And that works in my favor. Uh, I feel like that I'm a perfectionist when it comes to myself. But most perfectionist pastors, they can't pastor but just so many people because they require perfection of everything that happens around the church. 
I see things that are done around the church that are sloppily put together and everything. Now, I try to get them excel toward excellence. Now, the thing, the thing about it is, because I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to other people, and I'm not an alarmist, you know, there are certain things that just don't bother me that bother other people. Now, as far as the, the stress is concerned, you know, a lot of this comes as just a learned response. Uh, how to, as you get older and you pastor more people, I don't try to solve all their problems. Uh, I, I realize that I can't do this. Um, so, so what I do is just, as I stated before, I try to supply them with enough information to make the right decision. Um, I, I, I just, I, I just personally feel that that Jesus gave us the, he gave us the formula uh, to deal with anxiety. So I, I introduce another word here, but he talks about the anxiety of the uh, of the Gentiles, and then he says, now uh, here's how you overcome this: you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I tell people, especially people that are going through hardships and and such, uh, don't spend too much time praying for yourself. Hmm. You become selfish. You become an enemy to the cross. Now there is a point which you know. Consider the lilies. Consider the sparrows. So they they toil not, but yet God takes care of them. Be still, Moses, and. See the salvation of the Lord. My, my, my. That is powerful. Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God, the peace of God rule in your heart. He didn't say let the God of peace rule in your heart. He said let the peace of God. In other words, he took peace, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. And you cannot separate peace from government. Of his peace and government, there shall be no end. So if you if 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 peace reigns in your heart, if peace reigns in your heart, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna cut out a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, you know. And th- then it's just a matter of well, I trust God, I believe God because this, this is what the scripture says. If you want to get confused, if you really want to get confused, and you want to become very very anxious and have panic attacks start spending more time praying for yourself and see what happens <laughs> that, that you know i teach a whole lesson to new converts on this but oh boy that is so you know if you just hey you know god's going to take care of me but like i say i do have this going for me because i'm not an alarmist <laughs> there we go Brother Grant, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know I'm going to get a lot of responses from this call. Um, I have been helped. I know I have been greatly blessed today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just pray a blessing? I'm sure that there are uh, ministers right now who are listening to this call who are going through some very real uh, tragedy and, and challenging times. Would you just pray a blessing over them today? Yes, Lord, and I'm asking God right now that you let your peace that passes all understanding flow. Flow, Lord Jesus, down these phone lines and through the air and whatever means in which uh, uh, is made possible. I'm praying, God, that you, you touch every minister. Lord Jesus, give, give our precious men a fresh anointing. Let them, Lord Jesus, grow in knowledge and in grace in you. Give them knowledge and give them understanding, give them wisdom, which is the way in which we grow and the way in which we were converted. So I pray, God, for a special anointing to come and rest upon all of these preachers that are listening and all these precious people. I'm asking God, give them a good weekend. Let them understand that you are God and you are in control of certain things and help them to turn over the leadership to you, O oh God. They're just under shepherds, and I'm believing, God, that they will accept this role. Thank you, God, for this time. 
that you have allowed me to spend with them. We love them, God. We love them, Darren. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Brother Grant. I appreciate that. Have a great weekend. Uh, call hey, it's us. been a privilege being with you. You have a great weekend, too, Aaron.